What's going on guys, Austin here. And in this video, we are going to be taking a look at the NBA's uh, season ending awards. So what we've got here, I'm gonna go from, I don't wanna say, I don't wanna say disrespectfully, but we're gonna go in order of the least exciting to the most exciting, which means obviously we're gonna end with the MVP. And for me, that means we're going to start with the most improved player, it's a cool award to show, uh, you know, who starts, you know, their career at a certain place and who moves to a certain place. Because sometimes, you know, it'll be a guy in year one to two. Sometimes it'll be a guy in, in, in year two to three. And, and then other times it's a guy like that'll be in like year, year seven to eight. You know, just makes a jump out of nowhere. It's really cool to see. Um, it's really cool to see how some guys will progress gradually and other guys will, you know, take like two big leaps and then they, they peak and then they're, they're there. You know, like LeBron, uh, like his worst year uh, statistically was his rookie year. He was, I believe he was like 26 and six. And then the next year is 27, seven and seven for the rest of his career. Uh, same thing with Luka Doncic so, so far. I think he was, you know, 21, 21, seven and seven his rookie year. And then pretty much ever since he's been, you know, 28, eight and eight, um, which is really interesting to see. But my most approved player uh, for the 22 season is John Morant. Uh, this one's pretty evident, um, you know, going from season over season, he's averaging like eight more points over eight more points from last year to this year. He's more efficient from every level. Uh, that's, you know, everywhere on the field from the three point line and the free throw line. Uh, you'd like to see the free throw line move up a little bit, especially considering how much he goes to the hole and how much, you know, he's going to get fouled, but you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to take some and give some there. Uh, as far as assists go, he was more of an assist player his second year than he is this year. I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, the, the massive scoring role he took over, but he didn't even move down one whole assist, right? He went from 7.4 to 6.7, which isn't that big. And then he moved up over a rebound and a half per game, which is, I mean, this is all a lot, especially considering he's, He's, he's a point guard. I don't really think he plays point guard style. To me, he feels like an Allen Iverson type of player uh, where he should probably be considered as a shooting guard. To me, uh, my uh, rule, if you're a point guard, is you have, to have, you have to have more assists than field goals made. Um, and so, you know, if you, if you average seven field goals made a game, and you're, uh, you know, an 18 point a game guy and you average eight assists a game, then you can be considered a point guard. Whereas, you know, if you're a 30 point per game guy, you know, you're, you're scoring, you're scoring 12 field goals a game and you're at six assists, but you're the ball handler. Like if you're Steph Curry, it's really hard to say, but to me, you feel like a shooting guard. Uh, and so that's why I called you that, but nonetheless, you know, the assist numbers, that's not important. Ja clear cut, most improved player for the 2021-2022 NBA season. My executive of the year, I have Daryl Morey. I went back and forth on this. I had Mark Eversley for most of the season, uh, but when the, the, when the Bulls, excuse me, started falling off, it really became difficult to keep him there. I think they should have made a move to get rid of Nikola Vucevic during the middle of the season. I think there was an easy move to be made to take and get a guy who 
had defensive upside that didn't need the ball like an Andre Drummond or if you could have packaged Vucevic with some picks and gotten uh, Jared Allen out of Cleveland, you know, now that they have Evan Mobley right there, there's a little bit of redundancy. I think they need more defense and offense from their center position, considering, you know, the scoring output that they have from their guards and forwards. Um, but Daryl Morey here, uh, he stepped up. Pat Riley, all the moves that he made uh, as far as, you know, the players that he wanted to keep, you know, bringing in Kyle Lowry and, you know, relegating certain players to certain positions. It, it, it worked out. They're the number one seed and, you know, they still don't have a bona fide superstar. Um, Jimmy Butler is a star. I wouldn't call him a superstar. He's a borderline top 10 player uh, some seasons, but I don't, I don't think we can really put him in that uh, able to win the championship as a best player kind of guy. Um, and so that's the reason why I can't have Pat Riley number one. Uh, but Daryl Morey, this has been a really chaotic season for the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, mainly, we're talking about the James Harden trade. Uh, you know, I mean, the handling of the Ben Simmons situation could have been a lot better. If I were him, I would have looked to have traded him before a long time ago, before this got too bad, because the two players never seemed to be able to fit. And that was obvious, you know, pretty much since the beginning. Uh, but acquiring James Harden, he traded away Paul Millsap. Uh, or he acquired James Harden and Paul Millsap for Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and two first-round picks. Now, Ben Simmons wasn't playing. So, essentially, for this season, this season right here, you traded away Seth Curry and Andre Drummond for Paul Millsap and James Harden, which is, enough, which is a fantastic trade if they can pull it off this season. Now, if they don't go anywhere except, you know, another Eastern Conference Finals, Eastern Conference Semifinals, then we're going to look back and say, well, that didn't work. But what we know right now is this team is better today than when they started the season, because not only is James Harden a slightly better player than Ben Simmons, he fits infinitely better with Joel Embiid, who is a league leading MVP candidate. Their record was 32 and 22 before the Harden trade, which is good enough for fifth in the East at 592, a 59.2 winning percentage. And since the Harden trade, they've gone 19 and nine, which is pretty much a 68 winning percentage, a 51 and 31 overall record. So they've, they've, won, they've won 20 games since and only lost 10 games since pretty much. And they have the second, they're tied for the second best record uh, in the West, that should say East. Uh, they're tied for the second best record in the East. They're tied with three teams. And unfor unfortunately for me in this video, uh, they're because of tiebreakers and, and that, you know, BS, they all the way down to fourth. So they bumped from the fifth, fifth place in the East to the fourth place in the East, but they, they significantly moved up as far as winning percentage goes. A couple of other moves, uh, Kobe Altman, who, you know, he's done a really great job of drafting in Cleveland lately. Um, it's just going to – I think this offseason is going to be make or break for him. You know, what does he do with some of the veteran players? How well does he draft? Does he, you know, make a move to get a superstar or not? And then Sam Presti, who is always just amazing. I He probably had – he probably drafted two of the top ten rookies uh, this season, maybe maybe top 12. Um, and, you know, as usual, he's always got a buttload of picks, which, 
he's an excellent drafter. He's drafted three league MVPs, uh, you know, two finals MVPs and Kevin Durant. It's unbelievable. And my coach of the year is Monty Williams. This one should go as no surprise. I don't remember if he won it last year. I, I honestly can't remember who won coach of the year last year. Um, but I don't really care if he did win it last year, he deserves to win it back to back. If he didn't, it's a robbery. He deserves to win it again. Uh, Monty Williams, the Suns went 64 and 18, which is a fantastic record. This might be the best record since the 2016 season when the Spurs won 67 games and the Warriors won 73 games. Um, and it's eight games ahead of second best in the NBA, the entire NBA, which means that if the finals were played today and the Suns had to play the second seed, which I believe is the Grizzlies, they would be eight games ahead of the Grizzlies, which is just insane. They have seven players averaging 10 points per game and two more players that are averaging 9.4 points per game. So I couldn't put them in that 10 points per game. If they were at, you know, 9.6 or anything like that, I would have included them. But it just goes to show how well they're making sure that, you know, the ball is being distributed on the scoring front, which has a lot to do with CP3. But it also has a lot to do with Monty Williams because CP3 hasn't had hasn't had six other teammates scoring 10 points per game in his career before. They're fifth in points scored. They're fourth in assists. They have the seventh fewest turnovers. They're first in field goal percentage. They're ninth in three point percentage. They are eighth in their opponent's field goal percent or their opponent's points per game allowed. They're third in opponent's field goal percentage allowed. And they're fifth in opponent's three point percentage allowed, which is a lot of words. Basically, put it all together. What does it mean? It means they're a top five offensive team, no doubt, and a top five defensive team, no doubt. They're fantastic stats because when you take it all into consideration, most teams will have, you know, two or three great stats on one side of the ball. You know, they'll be they'll be fifth in points scored and fourth in assists, but they'll have a high turnover rate because, you know, they don't know how to assist without also turning the ball over. Or you'll have a high field goal percentage and a high three point percentage, but low in total points and, and low in assists or with defense, you know. You can have a great three three point defense, but not a great uh, not a great field goal defense because you're sending players out to the perimeter. Phoenix, all of it's taken care of, and I mean Monty Williams is doing a fantastic job. He's really making a name for himself, uh, and I believe in this next wave of the NBA. You know, throughout the next 15, 20 years or so, he's going to be looked at as one of the top five coaches in the NBA. The same way that uh, you know guys like guys like Eric Spolstra and uh, Greg Popovich were in the last 10 years. I believe it, you know, it's probably going to be Eric Spolstra and Monty Williams the next 10 years. And I've got Eric Spolstra next. Uh, uh, Glenn Rivers for the Philadelphia 76ers. Taylor Jenkins in Memphis, what he's doing and the amount of wins that they have without John Morant and their record without John Morant is, it's incredible. And I hope I'm saying his name right. Imi Udoka. And Boston, he's doing a great job with some players who I don't really necessarily believe in. I don't think you can win a championship with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Um, at least I think you need to add another player of their caliber or 
you know, trade one of them and a piece for a player of a much higher caliber. But that's neither here nor there. These guys are doing fantastic jobs for their respective teams. My rookie of the year, somehow, some some way, for some crazy reason, Cade Cunningham is a distant third for the rookie of the year race, which also I don't know why this picture is blurry. Um, which is just a it's just a total travesty. Are they all blurry? No, just this one. It wasn't blurry when I made the video. That's upsetting. Um, so yeah, Kate Cunningham is a distant third, which is an absolute travesty. It it means that dumb people are making those rankings and dumb people are in charge of the hype. And it's also a part of that Detroit versus everybody mentality, uh, where you know the league doesn't really the league doesn't really respect Detroit. It never it never has, it's never cared about any era that the Detroit Pistons have ever lived in. Just to go over a few stats of why Cade Cunningham is clearly and obviously uh, the best player of this rookie class. Um, he's averaging the most points by a bit, 17.4 points, which is a lot for a rookie. Um, he's doing it on 42, 32, and 85 shooting, which isn't great, but when you watch the games, he's always being guarded by the opponent's best defender because he's by far the best player that the Detroit Pistons have, um, just depending on how you feel about the occasional appearance of Jeremy Grant and the late season edition of Marvin Bagley, who, you know, neither of those guys have been there for many game for a lot of the games for the Pistons, rather. Um, he's 5.6 in assists, which is second for all rookies, uh, believe behind only Josh Giddy. He's averaging 5.5 rebounds as a point guard. He has 1.2 steals per game, which is first, and he's averaging 0.7 blocks, which is seventh. Then this, this is these are these are rookie rankings, uh, but you look at I mean just look at this: first, second, fifth, first, seventh. It's it's hard to imagine why any smart person wouldn't have him number one on your rankings. Evan Mobley's great. Um, all he does is you know score and play defense. He's not a leader. He's not a passer. He's a great interior defender, but he can't he can't create his own shot. Scotty Barnes is good. He's basically Evan Mobley with a little bit more uh, offensive versatility and less defensive skill. Josh Giddy is the next best point guard in this class, and then Franz Wagner, uh, I in my opinion, is just a, a distant fifth from the rest of these. If you ask me, it goes Kate at number one. Evan and Scotty are in that next tier. Josh is in the third tier. And then Franz is in that last tier. My sixth man of the year, I have Tyler Hero, Mr. Snarl himself. Uh, he, he's been the sixth man of the year all year. Nothing has really changed. I mean, Kevin Love and what he's doing with the kids in Cleveland has been really good. Uh, Montrez Harrell, I, I would have been able to put him higher if the Washington – I almost call them the bullets. If the Washington Wizards had had a better season um, and Kelly Oubre and Cameron Johnson are, they're both technically they're both on playoff teams, but they're having good seasons for playoff teams. Cameron Johnson's a little bit lower because he's much, much lower on the, uh, like on the minutes table on how many minutes per game he's played for the Suns uh, than Kelly Oubre is on the, Charlotte Hornets. Jeez, there's so many names have changed throughout the NBA. For a second, I wanted to call them the Charlotte Pelicans, which really just would have made me angry if I accidentally said that out loud. Um, but you take a look at some of Tyler Hero's stats: twenty point seven points, which is really good. If you know if you're averaging twenty points per game, that's fine. 
45, 40, 87 shooting. This is about as close as you can get to a 50, 40, 90 volume player without having them be a superstar, you know, because if he was averaging 50, 40, and 90, which he's almost there on 20 points per game, you'd be like, oh my gosh, this guy's amazing. Um, I believe the worst player to ever average a 50, 40, 90 on enough shots to qualify is Chris Middleton. And I mean, he was the second best player on the championship team. So take that as you will. Uh, he's averaging four assists, five rebounds, which I mean, it's, it's what you'd expect from a short shooting guard. I mean, I, I think five rebounds is actually pretty good. Um, he's a, I mean, he's a good effort player, especially on offense. Uh, his shooting, he he seems to be kind of like a Kobe shooter where he has stretches where he can shoot really great, but he's not an incredible, like, consistent three-point shooter. And, I mean, that that's a lot to say for a guy that's averaging 40% made threes. Um, he's really improved throughout his career. An argument could be made that he should have been most improved player at one point. Um, he really He really pushed himself into the limelight in the bubble. And I think if he can have a good playoffs, he's really going to cement himself as, you know, a real, uh, real starter and a potential future all-star in the NBA. I believe the next one is defensive player of the year. Yes. So I have Rudy Gobert here, which I kind of went back and forth on this because Rudy Gobert has three defensive player of the year awards already. And there's only a list of two guys that have, four defensive player of the year awards. Um, and so it's really difficult to decide whether or not you want to put him in that category of, Oh, okay. So he's one of the, you know, five best defenders of all time, according to those metrics. Is he, I don't know, but it's kind of hard to put anybody else here. I mean, I think that he won one that Draymond green should have won um, earlier on. So you know, it's a give and take, but, you know, I have to, I have to be, uh, I have to be integrous to my opinions. And that is that Rudy Gobert is the best defensive player right now in the NBA. He's averaging 11 defensive rebounds per game, which is more than most players, most centers even will average uh, defensively and offensively. He's leading the league in defensive rebounds and leading the league in total rebounds. Uh, he's averaging 0.7 steals per game, which is crazy for a guy that's like, it's like seven foot, uh, 2.1 blocks per game, which is, I mean, that's just routine, you know, two blocks a game. That's, that's just what you get with a guy like Rudy. And he's allowing 48.5% from the field, which is crazy to me because he's such a high volume defender. You, if you don't watch Utah, you have to understand what they do. You, the Utah Jazz send all of their players defensively to the perimeter, except Gobert to to force players away from the three-point line, and they they funnel the ball straight to Rudy Gobert at the middle. He defends 22 shots directly in his presence per game, which is insane, especially considering a lot of those are at the rim, and he allows less than 50% on an incredibly high volume. Uh, Marcus Smart and Bam Adebayo are both excellent defenders on great teams. I won't be mad if either of those guys win. I think Bam is a little bit more valuable than Marcus Smart is, so I would have him ranked ahead of him. Jaron Jackson Jr. is one of the best statistically dominant defenders this year for the Memphis Grizzlies. A lot of people don't understand. I mean, we're talking about like if you want to go into the defensive box box score plus minus 
the defensive wins above replacement, the, you know, the defensive rating and the specific field goal percentages, like it, it comes out that Jaron Jackson Jr. is an incredible defender and you watch the games. He's a good defender. It just takes, you know, some nerdy stats to figure out, wow, he's actually a lot better than we all would have thought. And then Mikhail Bridges, who I think he's good. I just, you know, he's not as good as the guys ahead of him on this list. And then my MVP, uh, this one was a really, this one was a really tough one because I, I have a rule for MVPs and that is you cannot be a bad defender and you cannot have a low seed. Right. And I, I prefer my MVPs to, to have both good defense and a high seed, but I went with Devin Booker, who not a great defender, but I mean, he's there. Um, the problem is, is that everybody else on my list, two, three, and five are all very good defenders and two, three, and four are incredibly high stat players as well. Incredibly high. The difference is Devin Booker is eight games better than the next seed in the NBA, which none of these, none of these guys are on anyway, 64 and 14. That's not right. I think they're 67 and 18. Um, I should have, I uh, forgot to update that, but they're first in the West by far. He's averaging almost 27 points per game. Uh, and this is another almost 50, 40, 90. He's averaging 47, 38 and 87% shooting and 27 points per game on that efficient shooting is incredible. Like that's Larry Bird stuff right there. He's averaging 4.8 assists to 2.4 turnovers, which is exactly two to one. And that's my ratio. My, my two to one ratio is where you have to be to be considered a good passer average two to one. You're good. You know, if you're anything less than that, then you're below average. You're not good. So that's great, especially considering he's a shooting guard and the number two guy for assisting the ball on his team is well number two. He's the number two in the starting lineup at least. And he's averaging five rebounds per game, which, you know, I mean, it's whatever for, you know, a slightly undersized shooting guard. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, he's number two to me clearly because he's the best player in the NBA. He's, he's a top three, eh, top five offensive player and a top five defensive player. Um, and that, you know, that makes him the best player in the league because nobody else, um, there's not many players who are top 10 in either category, let alone top five. Joel Embiid, who, you know, is leading the 76ers throughout all this chaos. And Joel, he's really grown up. You can tell that when he came into the league, he didn't have the mentality to be a, a leader, at least the leader that he needed to be. And I think he's really stepped, stepped into that role. Luca, I'd want to have higher, but... I mean, his team is so many, so many spots behind all of these other teams um, as far as seating. And then Jimmy Butler, I'd like to have him higher, but he just hasn't been having the offensive season that I would have wanted him to have. And so that's why Devin Booker is the MVP. Giannis to me is clearly second. I would, I'd be okay. To, I would be okay to see Joel Embiid win that MVP. Um, and as much as I like Luka Doncic and as much as I, told the Suns, told the Suns, uh, that they should draft Luka Doncic because, I mean, I mean, who cares how they fit? Luka Doncic and Devin Booker would be just insane. One of the most unstoppable, offensively great, defensively weak backcourts we've ever seen. 
he's not a good enough defender and his team isn't in a good enough position to win the MVP. So that's my rankings right there. Let me know what you guys think. Uh, go ahead and like this video, subscribe to my content so you can stay up to date on all of our future videos.